0: Friday night, I woke alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV and that's about the time
1: she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. Then I saw more of my TV shows.
0: What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? hello everyone and welcome to another episode of bat books for beginners I am your host John and I am joined by a woman who was delighted that finally the interview got its international release because it meant her starring cameo appearance was finally seen by the world it is of course
1: it is of course international superstar Melinda what one name one name one name only
0: <laughs> yeah like... Uh, like share, share or M, <laughs> which is obviously, you know, naturally what you're equivalent to with your rapping skills. Of course. So, first of all, I'd like to start with an apology. I'm very sorry that there hasn't been um, an episode for the last couple of months, unfortunately. Mine and Melinda's schedules just haven't been able to uh, meet up, so we have been able to record, and that does mean that there hasn't been an episode for a little while so i do apologize for that however we do have a bigger announcement as you might know uh, me and melinda have worked together for about three years two three years now Uh, Um, pretty close yeah and we started on um, the batman universe podcast with dustin and that's we moved on from that, and we uh, came together to revamp Bat books for beginners, and we've opened um, up a new chapter with that. Um, you know, we've been working very hard to to really make it f- as great as possible for you guys, and to bring you as much information as possible about the Batman books uh, from the past. And hopefully, we, you know, we've opened your eyes up into new books that you didn't think you were going to purchase, or You've looked at something and gone, actually, you know, I think they're wrong. Uh, but now I have a reason to argue why these two idiots on my podcast are wrong. So with that being said, we are going to be passing the torch on. It will now going forward be hosted by two great guys called Dylan and John. They're brilliant. They're really funny. And they're going to be taking you forward and they'll be covering all the rest of the bat books as they go forward, and that of course does mean that Melinda and myself will be leaving the Batman Universe podcast. Pause, fear for the cries of despair, anguish, upset.
1: I think they're going to be okay. Yes, you I guys will. have been left in exceptionally good hands. That's right. Uh, John and Dylan will. They are no John and Melinda, but they're going to do their best, and we're excited to hear what they have to
0: say. Yes, definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, So, what does that mean for this episode of Bat Books for Billionaires? Well, we're going to do things a little bit differently. So, rather than kick off um, as we would do with Batman No Man's Land Volume 1, what we've in fact done is we've chosen our favourite Batman books. And we're going to review them on the show for you. We're going to have a little bit of discussion, and we might just throw in a bit of a and A at the end. And I'm going to quiz Melinda, and she doesn't know this until now, about her time on Bat Books for Beginners and um, her time on the Batman Universe podcast, and what her plans are and everything like that. Because I like putting you on the spot.
1: You're the worst. <laughs> I know. I just found out about this. This is fantastic. Okay, and <laughs> um, shall we begin then?
0: Yes, and I think I think it's only fair that ladies go first.
1: That is exceptionally fair. So, if you have listened to this, if you have listened to anything that I've ever podcasted with this, you will know that my favorite bat book uh, was my first bat book, and it was whatever happened to the Caped Crusader, which was of course written by Neil Gaiman with art penciled by Andy Kubert and inked by Scott Williams this was the um the book that came after Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis and describes what happens after that so the story begins over Gotham City which the narrator describes as being different and not quite the Gotham that he's used to but it's still very familiar to him Outside the Dewdrop Inn in Crime Alley, Selena Kyle pulls up and enters, and the bartender, who we learn is Joe Chill, uh, is, tells her that everyone is gathered in the back. She makes her way back. We realize that this is a wake, and uh, it's an open casket funeral. The narrator looks in and says, that's me, and it's Batman, because this is his funeral. Once everyone arrives, they begin giving eulogies and an account of how Batman died. Each story is different. Uh, Selena Kyle's eulogy has him dying a death very similar to that of Robin Hood. Alfred brings in his acting past, claiming that he hired actor friends to pretend to be supervillains, with Alfred being, of course, the Joker. You know, Batman watches on as all of these things are happening. And after hearing these eulogies, Batman asks if he's dead. A mysterious female shape... uh, is seen next to him and says not yet Batman asks what's going on and the voice tells him that he's the world's greatest detective he should be able to figure it out and that was Batman issue 686 part 2 was uh, Detective Comics 853 where we get to see eulogies from the Mad Hatter Joker Robin and Superman Batman goes through a door at the back of the room and he can see that the woman who has been speaking with him is actually his mother who uh, Martha Wayne and that he's actually having a near-death experience. So this, I mean, obviously not his mother. She's just a hallucination that he's having. She asks what he's learned, and he says that the stories don't seem to be about the same person. Uh, and the only thing that is constant is that Batman never gives in and never gives up. And he dies time and time again, but it means that, that Bruce doesn't get to stop or retire So in the end, Batman is always going to die because it's the inevitable ending to his quest. She tells him, you don't get heaven or hell. Do you know the only reward you get for being Batman? You get to be Batman. then she talks a little bit about his childhood and how he can look forward to those few years of peace again. Um, So then Batman starts saying goodbye to to different things in the Batcave. And it's uh, obviously echoing the book Goodnight Moon. And the last image is of the bat signal in the sky and it gradually morphs into a pair of doctor's hands who deliver a baby boy to Martha Wayne and she smiles down at him and calls him Bruce. And this was, as everyone knows, the very first Batman story that I read. I picked it up solely because of Neil Gaiman's name on it and the fact that I was told they were killing Batman and I, I wanted to see how that played out. Now this to me is a story that I have only grown more and more fond of over the years because I've learned things about the rest of the characters. For example, when I first read this, I had no idea who Joe Chill was. I didn't, that that name meant nothing to me. So many of the little little details of the story skipped over me, but this is something that I will still go back and reread and say, oh, well, that's who that character is, or, oh, that's, that's what that means. So to me, it's a story that, that has great longevity because it contains so many of those those tiny little details that are very very easy to miss or very very easy to misinterpret uh
0: the first time you read it how neil gaiman-esque is the is the book is it a very um because he obviously has a very distinctive style of writing does that carry across do you think do you, i mean if you're a fan of neil gaiman but not necessarily a fan of batman or and vice oh, versa would you enjoy it do you think
1: i can see why some some batman fans really did not like this book but i came into it as a fan of neil gaiman you know there's it the book really does read a lot like uh the wake in sandman i mean for obvious reasons but you one of the things that it it has is several manifestations of the unreliable narrator because you have all of these people giving different stories and it's not until the very end where you find out that Bruce needs to realize you never give in and you never give up that you you understand why he needs to hear all of these disparate stories of his own death. And I think when you put this in the context of the books that are surrounding it, so Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis, you know, Batman R.I.P. dealt with him just having his mind absolutely taken apart. And we learn in Final Crisis that his consciousness was sent through time, and I mean, whether you like that aspect of it or not the fact is this this is a person who would have gone through huge huge amounts of trauma and if you read this as his brain insulating him from that it actually it fits quite well you know he he probably at that point did believe he was going to die so he was having this funeral delusion and yeah it's I realize I've strayed from the original question of "Is it very Neil Gaiman?"y and, and the short answer is yes, it's very Neil Gaiman'y. But the long answer is it's it's even more Neil Gaiman'y when you put it within the context of the stories around it.
0: Okay, yeah, uh, you know, I think that's a fair because I, I definitely think that that when you're looking at writers, Neil Gaiman is one of those ones that he's uh, for a UK expression, he's very marmite. So you either love him or you hate him. I've never met anybody who's ever kind of gone. Well, eh, Neil Gaiman's alright. So you know, I, I definitely you know can understand why there's that polarization of of it. I, I mean, how much sort of does do you feel like the characters in it? So you know, Selena Kyle and and Alfred and and that sort of thing. Are they? Do you feel like it's... It's them telling the story... And it's coming... You know... It, it's very much from their perspective... And very much how they would... You know... If they were a real... For the sake of it... If they are a real person... That, that they would... Describe how how it's done... Or do you think that... One, you know, one of the criticisms... That is leveled at him, at him... Is that he doesn't really... Kind of have anything original... He just... Draws in from other um, writers, so like for example, you know, Robin Hood and and sort of classic stories and that kind of thing.
1: And, and that's a very interesting and and perhaps accurate criticism. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to there's only there's only three stories in the world: man versus man, man versus nature, and man versus himself. So. I mean, how you choose to fill those stories is completely up to you. I think every story will always have shades of other stories in it. That being said, I think that when looking at particularly the eulogies given by Selena Kyle and Alfred, I think those stories reveal more about how Neil Gaiman feels that Bruce would feel about those two people because again these aren't these aren't actually the characters this is all a near death experience this is all happening in Batman's head so for him to look at Selina Kyle and say yeah she saved me sort of but then she killed me speaks to in my opinion Bruce knowing yes, this is a woman who cares for him, but will ultimately always only be looking for herself. With Alfred's story, Alfred saw how um, how purposeless and, and just devastated Bruce was after his parents' death. And he made this ultimate sacrifice of of giving Bruce purpose because he cared for him so much. And I think... I think that Bruce that speaks to how Bruce does know that of all the people in his life anyone who comes in or out of it Alfred loves him Alfred loves him as dearly as a parent loves him and and if you look at the if you look at what Alfred chose to do just to give Bruce purpose again that speaks to that I I think i think he has a grasp of the characters but i think he I, I don't think neil gaiman gives you anything easily i think it's up to you to determine and and to it's up to you the reader to get there to get to his final point he doesn't just hand it to you
0: yeah i i, I would completely agree from what i've read of of neil gaiman um you know he does he's very much a a thinking man's writer um and he does kind of make you work for everything moving on to the artwork what what did you think of the artwork i must admit i've i'm not familiar with the artist at all um i have no idea about about his artwork
1: so the art On this one, I think the majority of the credit, a good portion still goes to Andy Kubert uh, because he wrote it. But Alex Sinclair, the colorist, really did capture kind of that that dreamy vibe of of this whole story. Um, And just the way he chose to color and layer, I think, again, that the majority of the credit needs to go to him. And this was a story that had multiple variant covers that went along with it. And uh, if you ever get a chance to see the, the Batman 686 variant cover by Alex Ross, I think that was probably my favorite. It has the image of Alfred holding up the cowl and and looking down at it. And it, he's very clearly in mourning. And It was just such a powerful image because it looked as though Alfred knew that it was Batman that killed Bruce, and whether that happened, you know, 20 years before Batman died, you can't really tell. But, but he knows that it was Batman that killed the man he looked at as a son.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I definitely think that colorist Alex Sinclair, you know, definitely should get the the credit in this. I think that, um, that the arts never. You know, it's not something to be blown away by, you know, I think a half-decent artist such as Jim Lee could do this. You know, it's not Rob Lydfeld bad, but it's not Dustin Gwynn, Tim Sale, brilliant either. It's sort of floating in the middle of that line. Obviously Neil Gaiman's very well known for putting a lot of of symbolism into his into his writing and television programs and things like that how i mean do you did you feel like the the the, the art kind of complemented that attempt that he has to do it or do you think that there's kind of um a a mishmash of styles that doesn't really kind of come off at all
1: i think the art complements it to a certain degree if, for example, you've got on that last panel even just a, a bit of a slide joke where you're, you're seeing Bruce asking, Am I dead? Are you death? And the, the person answering, I don't think death is a person, Bruce. And we know it's it's a female silhouette, and part of the silhouette does seem to match the character of death from the Sandman comics. But I would not... I would not say that the art necessarily plays into the symbolism that Neil Gaiman likes to employ in his stories. I think it's kind of sad to say, but I feel like this was kind of just art, just pictures to to accompany a
0: story. Do you want to <laughs> Do you want to make a, like a final summing up point, or is there anything else you want to add?
1: A final summing up point regarding this book,
0: sure. Yeah. So rate it. I don't know. I don't know how we're doing this. This is weird. Well, this is the last one. We can do whatever we want. It's oh. anarchy. Yeah! I've taken my socks off. I, you I were did. wearing socks? Yeah, I was for a little bit. I was cold.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. Okay. Uh, so, to, to wrap it up, Batman, Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader was a story that was written by Neil Gaiman because... Of the very simple reason, he didn't want anyone else to get to write it. He has said that numerous times in interviews. And it's a story that is very easily skipped. It it adds and detracts nothing from the Batman universe. But for me, it was a really great jumping in point. It introduced me to Batman within the context of a writer that I really loved. And it introduced me to a character that... I grew to love out of a seed that was planted by this story, so very, very biasedly, I will give it six out of five batterings. So, John, why don't you tell us about the book you have chosen for
0: today? If you uh, were a regular listener to the Batman Universe uh, podcast, uh, you'll know my favourite book is uh, Going Sane, uh, which is written by J.M. DeMattis and features art by joe staten and this was from legends of the dark knight and it covers issues 65 through 268 so we open with batman tracking the joker down after he's attacked a parade batman states that he's gotham's defense against the joker and will always try to stop him meanwhile joker catches councilwoman Kenna. Batman chases him to an abandoned house, but the Joker manages to blow up the building with Batman in it, supposedly killing him. After this, the Joker decides that he is going to go straight because he no longer has a nemesis. 66 opens with everyone searching for the Joker and Batman. However, the Joker is now changed and is a normal man called Joseph Kerr. He then bumps into a lady called Rebecca Brown and they start going on dates with each other. Soon they're living together, but he keeps having reoccurring dreams of a clown face and that he is drowning. It gets so bad that Joseph, or Joker, nearly hits Rebecca. He runs off, but instead of reverting back to his Joker form, he asks her to marry him, which she accepts. Issue 67 opens with the return of Batman. It transpires he was rescued and brought to a doctor who nursed him back to health. Upon his return he starts looking for the Joker and he begins with a failed plastic surgeon who was killed possibly by the Joker when he changed his appearance. The failed plastic surgeon's wife, who is the surviving member out of the two of them, fights Batman and he learns from her that Joker has indeed changed his face. This leads him on to start cross-referencing all the Joker's previous aliases. Working out that he's using the cover Joseph Kerr, he arrives at Joseph and Rebecca's flat but finds that no one is there. However, he does discover that the Joker has in fact begun to settle down and is looking to get married. The final issue, 68, opens with Joker and Rebecca on a romantic break. This is intercut with later scenes where the Joker has kidnapped the councilwoman, Kenner, again. We see confirmation in a newspaper that Batman is back and this triggers joker to revert back to his joker persona and it pushes him over the edge so much that he fakes his own death as joseph and returns it then cuts back to the joker escaping with councilwoman kenna however for a brief second he sees rebecca and he allows her to go free batman and joker of course are inevitably fight and batman brings him in and the issue ends with rebecca mourning over the fact that did not find the joker's body but that inside he had inescapable demons i really uh, like this book i think the batman stories are always the best when they're investigating uh, the characters and i think That this one's a really interesting storyline because it takes that iconic battle between Batman and the Joker. You know, it's it's synonymous with the the Batman comics um, and with Batman in general, and it's the one that everybody knows. And it looks at that kind of conflict in a very interesting way by going, well, actually, what would happen if? the joker one what would he do would he go on a crime spree or is there something in him that needs batman and that actually once batman's been removed that desire to have a nemesis and to to constantly try and outwit batman and and cause chaos actually dies down and i'm very much in that latter camp i think that this is very much fueled by their conflict and i think it's very clever how they take that and go well yeah he would settle down and i think it's a fantastically interesting read the story is very well written and it's very well paced all the way through i can't fault it at all
1: now the idea of a choker without a batman has been broached several times is this your favorite interpretation of what happens and within other stories where we've seen that kind of hinted at do you think that it would make sense for the joker to just lose his motivation
0: yes i mean this is definitely my favorite out of all of those interpretations you know i I think scott snyder hinted at it uh, towards the end of Death of the Family, especially in the last final couple of issues where Joker throws himself off off the cliff that their relationship is very intermingled. I wasn't particularly... I, I really liked that storyline, but I, I don't think he entirely got that relationship as right as they do in this storyline. I, I definitely, certainly... I definitely think that they, they need each other... And that maybe not so much from, from Batman's point of view... Um, does he... You know, if the Joker ceased to exist tomorrow... I'm not 100% convinced that... Batman would go... Well, that's my job, job done. Bye. But I, I certainly think that if Batman ceased to exist, I think the Joker and I actually think quite a lot of the Batman villains would cease to have a reason to to continue their their life of of crime. I think Riddler certainly I, I think would probably go into retirement if batman ever did kind of permanently die or had never existed um or stopped working the joker i think is is the the one that that needs batman the most and that their relationship is based on batman foiling the plans and trying to to get rid of the joker But I think that whilst the Joker is, to an extent, psychotic, I always feel that the best portrayals of the Joker have been where he's actually... He's got a dangerous streak in him, but he's not. His whole humour and where he thinks it's funny is... ...setting up these ingenious traps... ...and causing all of this chaos and mayhem... ...and Batman... ...playing the straight man... ...and and coming in and... ...and defeating that... ...and I think... ...especially in the story... ...where you see him and he's... ...when he initially kidnaps... uh, ...Councilwoman Kenner... ...you know, he forces her to watch... ...Charlie Chaplin films and... ...when he gets angry at Rebecca. He says, well, we're going to turn this TV off now and we're going to watch classic comedies. And these are all very much where there's a, a central comedian who's who's the focus point of of it and there's lots of chaos kind of going on around them. And then there are the people who then put it right, as it were. and And that's how I see that relationship. And that's very much the influence that is within this story as well, and I, I think that's brilliant.
1: So you don't think, like, so if the Joker were to die, Batman still has an entire rogues gallery to contend with. But you feel like if Batman were to die, the Joker would, would not choose to antagonize one of the other heroes that occupies Gotham. You think, for him, Batman is the be-all, end-all.
0: Yeah, I do, because I think that the Joker and, and the way it's done in the story and, and in my mind how the Joker is, is that, that he has that one-on-one relationship with Batman. He isn't interested in anybody else except in ways that he can use it to get to Batman he's he's almost infatuated I think would be the the layman term and I'm sure there's some you know psychology um, student or graduate out there who can who'll be able to tell me if there's a, a psychological kind of uh, word for it but infatuated I think is the best one and that's only for batman that's where he you know he feels like he was created by batman which is arguable if you look at the comics whether he was or wasn't and you know that's his ob- the object of his design he doesn't really care about anybody else
1: and as far as um, this storyline goes it was actually originally submitted in the 80s but it was too similar to batman the killing joke do you think had it been published at that point in time, this story would have ended up kind of getting lost under that fanfare, or and do you think it it serves better being published when and where it was? Or would you have liked to have seen it published earlier?
0: I don't think it matters too much when it was published. I mean, I I don't think that it's that similar to the Killing Joke. I think The Killing Joke looks at their relationship definitely, and it's it's a fantastic storyline, hands down. Um, you know, uh, but I think it looks at their relationship in a very in a slightly different way from how this does. So I don't think it would have. I think it would have drawn comparisons, which I think would have been unfair, in my opinion, because they are different. But I think that it wouldn't have mattered really when it was published. I think, to an extent, it's one of those storylines that does go under the radar. I've never seen it come up in those top ten lists of Batman stories. Um, people always go for things like The Long Halloween, or R.I.P., or Hush, Death in the, fa- fat in the Family... Um, as, as those kind of great Batman stories so I think it just always, you know it's always going to be overlooked to be honest
1: well, and that is a shame because this this is an incredibly well written story I think you're right that it it would always be overlooked and I think it I personally think it would have been overshadowed had it been published too near to the killing joke um, I think it would have drawn some very unfavorable com- comparisons which is is extraordinarily unfair now to the art, do you feel the art matches well with the story, or
0: was there some dissonance? How did you feel about it? I mean, the artwork is that very stylized '90s feel. Um, you know, the, the the you had the very cartoony feel, or you had the very kind of almost sort of realisticy kind of feel, and I think this airs towards more the realistic side. I definitely think it matches the storyline personally for me the artwork doesn't make this this story much like you with whatever happened to the crusader it, it, it's it's good and I notice some very clever bits for example when Batman and the Joker are fighting it's always very dark and it's always very stormy and turbulent um, and, and it it shows that their relationship you know it reflects the, the story that's being told and that you know reflects their relationship as going very kind of over the top as I said very turbulent and always going and kind of you know there's never going to kind of when you're in the heart of a storm you feel like there's never going to be an end to it and that's sort of how it feels and then when the Joker thinks he's killed Batman all of a sudden there's an art switch and we see it's very light it's um, very bright and it's always sunny and there's lots of um, very bright colours over the artwork and I think that's a really really clever way of doing it and, and it certainly helped if you're looking at it in a meaningful way how the, the, how the relationship is and how you know the story is being told but it, it is at the same time just there, kind of in the background. I don't, it's a very wordy comic. I don't find myself paying too much attention to the art. I read the words.
1: Okay, that's, that's very fair. Do you have any final thoughts on it?
0: So, my final thoughts on um, Going Sane is it's a fantastic book. I think it, it does get overlooked quite a lot and i i think that's unfair i think you know it, it came very uh, it's sort of early-ish in legends of the dark knights run and it, it's kind of been buried uh, i think a little bit with with all the other storylines but speaking from a, a personal preference i highly recommend that everybody goes out and buys it and buys it now it's, you can buy it on Comixology and the, the DC um, comic store, and it's about 69 cents. And frankly, you're getting a fantastic set of stories for $2. So that's my final thoughts. Go out, go out and buy it now. Um, and it, it personally, um, I'm going to copy Melinda and give it a a 6 out of 5 Batarangs
1: alright so just as a reminder that averages both our books today uh, out to 6 out of 5 Batarangs
0: those are our two favourite books and hopefully uh, you've kind of got a bit more of an insight into why we've picked those books and why we think they are fantastic and we hopefully have convinced you to go out and buy them I definitely recommend both books they are very very good so so with that, it has come to the end of our last ever show. Melinda? What? John? Melinda? Cher? Um, <laughs> sunny? <laughs> um, I can't do a Sunny impression, otherwise I would. I, d- I can't remember what he sounded like. Boring, I think. <coughs> I'm guessing. What what's, what's been your highlight over the last... You know, three years. What have you? What's What's been the best moment that that you've had?
1: Oh, the best moment I've had.
0: And if you don't say recording with John, I will erase <laughs> you from this.
1: I would say I, I can't necessarily pinpoint one specific moment from this because it, it has all. Been very great. Um, you know the people on, the people on TVU were exceptionally welcoming. I I would say, you know what? I would say, getting to spend several hours uh, discussing the reboot special and and the relaunch and and what it meant for everything, and then realizing that had to get whittled down to a manageable. Download time, because we were on there for hours. I like I missed a family dinner at one point because I was like, eh, the, the food will still be there. I need to I need to do this first, um, and then just realizing how much of it we were able to cut out. What about you? You have a favorite moment?
0: I. Really enjoyed doing the, the five-year special that, that I made and produced for the Batman Universe podcast. That was really good fun. I got to talk to a load of co-hosts, past and present, and all of them. Really lovely, really approachable, really chatty. Um, I had a lot of fun recording it, um, and it was really difficult to chop out a lot of it so that it kind of had some kind of point to it so i think that's been my been my highlight i think of the last uh, four years so here's a difficult question for you what's your worst moment on the podcast
1: worst moment? uh i know most embarrassing um, yeah, and that, that was most embarrassing Because I, I would not ever really classify Any of this as bad Most embarrassing Was my first podcast With you guys A. I was I was so nervous I was just so nervous I thought I was going to throw up Because I didn't realize like You guys are just very nice guys The end But I was moving my lap desk around And I didn't Several times, and you didn't mention anything, so I didn't realize it was picking up this huge crashing wave noise on my ambient mic.
0: Do you remember that it sounds
1: <laughs> that, w- uh, and just finally, I think it was it was close to the end. One of you was like, "Are you okay? What's going on?" I was like, "What? No, I'm fine. What? What do you mean? What's going on?" So, either that or when. I think I was pet-sitting, and the, the cat that I pet-sit was kind of yowling in the background, and Donovan asked me if I was strangling the cat, or Dustin, I think, might have asked me if I was strangling the cat. I had to defend myself and be like, no, this is how the cat always sounds. It's fine.
0: Yes, I do I do remember those. That was Also, as well, your incredibly noisy laptop, which you used to have in the beginning. So every so oh, often... We- I think it was either on a... It was either on an... Uh, on a, I can't remember if it was a laptop stand or not. But it at one point... At, at some point during the podcast, it would kick in. And it would sound like you were being blown away by a hurricane. That yep, was... Yeah,
1: that would be the fan.
0: <laughs> yes. That was... <laughs> just... Always expected one day for you to just be like...
1: And this was Melinda...
0: But I made it. Made it through. you did. Well done. My worst, almost embarrassing moment, I think, would be, like you, the first podcast that I ever did. I was uh, one of two other people joining. um, The other guy was a guy called uh, Josh. And we were we were joining, and it was with Dustin, and it was with Nick as well, and it was incredibly scary and nerve-wracking and yeah i just remember being so nervous and there was there was a bit of a gap and it's still on the very first podcast that i did where i just talked over nick and nick the consummate professional that he he was um and still is just carried on going until i realized and stopped and he, I think, obviously couldn't remove me. So there is there is a moment where I'm talking over it. And it I was just, yeah, terrified and nervous. Um, and gabbled a lot. So that was my most embarrassing, probably worst moment, I think. Next question is, of course, what are your plans for the future, Linda? Are you, are you staying in podcasting or are you moving on? John,
1: I think it would be very difficult to uh, to face podcasting without without you, and it's been difficult to podcast without Dustin because you're used to that that very familiar voice and that very comforting presence on the other end of the the cable line. So I will not be podcasting. I, I may make a few of the um, the specials appearances, but no, its life has turned unexpectedly busy for me um, between work and uh socializing. So I will I will not be going uh on with any regular podcasting. What about you? Are you Is there any news we should be aware of with you?
0: No, there there isn't. Like like you Melinda, I am um unfortunately he- very hectically busy with uh, a, a new job um that I've taken that's getting more and more busy. Plus, I'm heading towards the end of a university course as well. Um, so it means that it's gone incredibly busy and I just uh, don't have the time um, to devote to to doing the podcast, which is, you know, sad because it's, it's a great thing, but it is incredibly time intensive. Um, you know, when Dustin says on the podcast and says you know we're looking out for for people to come on and help we really are looking out because it it takes forever to do you've we record it and then there's the editing um and there's there's doing all the research as well so it is and it's just something i've not had time to to do but there's no in plans to podcast uh, uh might appear on some specials i never know if they'll have me back it's the main thing and, if, and finally, I think, I think we should know one personal thing about you. If you were stuck on a desert island and you could only take one object and you could only have one CD and you could only have one book, what would they be?
1: One object, one CD and one book. Well, and the object doesn't have to be a CD player?
0: The CD player is thrown in. You also, I don't know, get the Bible and the works of Shakespeare. If I'm completely ripping off Desert Island Discs, which is a <laughs> BBC radio program.
1: Okay, so the one, the one album I get is uh, is the Mark Tom and Travis Show by Blink One Eighty Two. The one book I bring. Is, is life after God by Douglas Copeland? And uh, one object. Is, is my food and water taken care of?
0: Yes, yeah. And no, you can't bring some hunky film star. you know It has to be a physical object.
1: But what if I'm just objectifying him? It doesn't count. Um, No, this is
0: this is a celibate island.
1: I I guess a knife. Fair enough. Yeah, because uh, you know my my hair is gonna get long. I'm gonna want to cut it at some point. I'm gonna need to. I don't know. Cut other things. I'm sure a knife.
0: No, that's, to be fair, is very practical. You could, you know, if you get bored, I'm... you can skewer stuff with it.
1: Well, I mean, i i have I have books. I have me- well, I have book. I have music. I don't really know what else I need.
0: No, that's very true. Because
1: you said you said food and water was taken care of, so it I assume yes. coffee yeah. as well. Like, there's a natural coffee on the island or something. Because um,
0: otherwise,
1: otherwise I'm swimming the ocean, finding you, and killing you.
0: <laughs> is there a coffee? No, there's not coffee. It is food okay, and then, water.
1: Okay, then uh, I need a coffee maker.
0: <laughs> what would my, uh, well, the book, easy. Um, it would be The Three Musketeers by Andrew Dumas. Um, favorite book in the is entire
1: because, world. Oh, I was going to say, is that because it's going to take you the... Like the rest of your life to finish it
0: because no. that is what
1: I think of every time I look at that book
0: no well it's quite short um it, uh, I think I polished it off in about a week oh am I thinking
1: of the Count of Monte Cristo
0: you are that's the big book yeah, okay. that he wrote and that's his kind of um that yes Count of Monte Cristo and I think that was it I'm not too hot on his Bibliography. I think that that's the two big ones that he wrote, um, along with Man in the Iron Mask, which is just a mess. Object, I would take a box of Lego, because I'm a big Lego fan. And frankly, it's always useful. You can kind of just, you know, while away the hours, just building stuff and then taking it down and building it again. Music is the hard one.
1: Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no oddly enough not Brian Adams I'm trying to think I am torn between the heist by Macklemore or there is a um, a brilliant singer songwriter in the UK called Lucy Rose and she's an acoustic um, singer songwriter and it's a fantastic voice. I've seen her live um, a couple of times. And um, I would take her album like I used to. And that's that's my album of the week, which we've introduced just now at this very second.
1: <laughs> See, but, but you have just gone with something that you don't know if, if in a week you're going to be sick of. Lucy like, Rose. you might overplay
0: that. It's been out for about a, a year or so. Oh. I think, well, no, in fact, two years now it's been out. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not, I, I have such an eclectic music taste that it's not something that I can, that's an easy answer, to be honest, because I will play and listen to just about anything, as long as it's not country and western.
1: All right. I think Don't come it's crying true. to my island when you are sick of your CD. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, yeah. You know, uh, the only saving grace is that you picked a good one from Blink One Eighty Two that wasn't the really, really awful last album.
1: Um, you can leave anytime.
0: And, and we'll on that note, so that's what it sounded like the entire album.
1: Okay, but that's not their last album. What was. Well, that was their second last album.
0: Oh, second. Well, fine. Second last album. <sighs> I don't even know they had a last album out.
1: On that note, I'm not going to miss John at all. He's the worst <laughs> to podcast with. We're very lucky to be split up.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, do you know what? You're bad mouthing my music taste, so I'm allowed to bad mouthing.
1: Oh, no, no. No,
0: no. I'm not bad-mouthing your music tape. Uh, well, no, no. I think, you know, you, you're saying I, I, I might be, be, be sick of her, but I, d- I don't think I will. It's, it's a very, very good album um, that I highly recommend.
1: All right. In fact, Fair I, will, enough. I will send
0: you a link to one of her songs, <laughs> and then you can judge. And I will. So, with that being said and done, um. That's it for our last ever episode of Bat Books for Beginners. Thank you very much for listening um, for the last four years or so uh, that we've been on the Batman Universe podcast and then on Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you very much for staying with us and listening and you know we wouldn't be here without you um so thank you very much melinda any last words
1: i guess uh, i guess i'll just close this out one last time with feeling this has been fat books for beginners this has been your host
0: john and this has been your host melinda and stay classy everybody have a happy Just
1: for you. That's it? That feels really weird.
0: It does, doesn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: If I had tear ducks I would cry.
1: Oh. That's really gross, John. Why'd you have to ruin a really nice moment?
0: <laughs> because I like ruining moments. You're the worst. Yeah.
1: No. I think that went well and I yeah we said goodbye to them
0: yeah and yeah wow (laughs) that's yeah that's proper weird I know you know when you know when that's that kind of that that weird
1: well no do you know what it feels like Yeah, go on. You you watched Friends, right?
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Do you remember the very last episode where they showed the door to Monica and Rachel's apartment closing for the last time and the apartment was empty? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that.
0: Yes, yeah. I would totally agree with that. It's kind of a... When, um... When JD, at the end of the last series of Scrubs, has all his best moments played.
1: Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, it's a series finale. Yeah.